Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Month after month, we have set records for migrants coming into the country. We have a broken immigration system because Republicans want us to. Our borders have been erased. The debt ceiling. We had a good meeting yesterday. Our conversation with this president. Doesn't mean we're going to agree. That's a clean debt ceiling extension. I see a shadow. Six more weeks of winter. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. So uh, Phil saw his shadow. Hmm. Not not uh, Phil the producer, Phil the groundhog. So what does that mean? Uh, Six more weeks of uh, basketball. <laughs> Six more weeks of uh, cold, I guess. Come on. Well, uh, next week is uh, supposed to be back in the 60s, so if... Uh, you're not enjoying this cold, wet rain. Hang in there, Eastern North Carolina. Weather changes quickly. Always does. Uh, got another good program lined up for you. We're going to be talking to, we're scheduled to be talking to um, the chair of the UNC Board of Trustees and uh, a new school that is going to be opening in Chapel Hill. Uh, David Bullock will be our guest, and we'll be talking to him in about 20 minutes. Um House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Making waves. I'll tell you what. (laughs) Now, it was interesting. He just didn't boot Ilhan Omar off the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee. He actually put it up for a vote. And uh, I think there were three Republicans that either voted present or didn't vote. Maybe it was four. But uh, overall, 222 Republicans in the House, uh, 218 voted, so it was four, uh, to remove Omar. So she's out, but the squad members, oh my gosh. They went off the rails. They they? went off the rails. They were screaming and hollering. And, and of course, what would you expect them to say? Would you expect them to bring up the fact that she has, you know, just blurted out time after time after time anti-Semitic comments? No, they didn't say that. Uh, You can, you know, surprise, 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 as Gomer would say. Uh, They all said the same thing, that the Republican Party were a bunch of white racist voting to remove a black woman from this committee and and again no the republican party listens to what you say and what you do as opposed to the color of your skin unlike the yeah. democrats that's all they see bingo is well the said. fact that she 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 has darker skin color interestingly um one republican gave it back to the democrats when it came to the border crisis now, again, Democrats are infatuated with racism. If Republicans don't vote for progressive legislation, it's because they're racist. If they say something against Barack Obama, it's because they're racist. If they're not you know, head over heels over Stacey Abrams, it's because they're racist. Uh, if the courts don't rule in favor of progressive thought, it's because they're racist. We found out this week if black police officers beat a black man to death, it's because of racism. By the way, I don't know if you heard – uh, the big Al Sharpton, uh, the reverend, he was down there in Memphis today at the funeral. And, uh, I mean, here's the funeral. You're, you're getting ready to eulogize uh, this young man. Seemed like a good you – know, I mean, I don't know anything about him, but, I mean, what, what little I've heard about him, he seemed like he was a pretty – I mean – He didn't have a rap seat. He didn't have a rap seat. So, I mean, that's that's. Uh, but um, Al gets up there and says, if this guy had been white, this would never have happened. <laughs> This is this is what you come up with at a, at a eulogy, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, now now we are told that the reason why Republicans want a secure border is because they're racist. 
<laughs> Representative Wesley Hunt is a black member of the House. He's from a Texas. retired military guy, Air Force, maybe? Is that right? Uh, well, he doesn't look that old. I don't know how old he is. I mean, he could be retired military and still be, you know, in his 40s or early 50s. But uh, and and had a full career. But uh, I tell you what, I have been saying this since we went on the air. The conservative party will have really come into its own when we are being led by uh, black conservatives. And boy, you see that over and over and over again. Um, Wesley Hunt, keep your eye on him. He's out of Houston. Um, Accusations of Republicans using racist and hateful rhetoric is a common talking point from Democrats. Um, Jerry Nadler claimed, big old Jerry, claimed that the border crisis hearing will expose, this is the hearing that they're going through right now that uh, Wesley Hunt's a part of. Jerry claimed that this crisis will expose the racist tendencies and the extreme MAGA Republican wing of the party because the GOP wants the border to be secure. He also said, it almost makes me miss the usual obsession with conspiracy theories and the FBI. Adam Schiff, who recently was removed from the House Intelligence Committee, claimed Republicans demonizing migrant families and asylum seekers have contributed to the increase, the level of hate and violence directed at immigrants here at home. So in other words, that hotel up in uh, New York where the immigrants refuse to leave and they've just trashed the whole place, it's Republicans' fault. Because because they said they want a secure border, it's making them feel bad, according to Adam, and that's why we're having problems. Congressman Wesley Hunt had enough. This is cut one, Clark. This is Congressman Hunt from yesterday, basically telling Jerry to stick it where the sun don't shine. This is actually not about race. This is actually an issue of public safety. And if I call this, if I call this an invasion, sir, I'm not racist. I can assure you I'm not racist. What I can assure you is that I want to make sure that fentanyl doesn't indiscriminately kill any race, religion, color, or creed. Because fentanyl doesn't care where you're from. Fentanyl doesn't care about race. Fentanyl kills indiscriminately. This gentleman right here works his tail off every single day to stop that from happening. Now, there's been a break in the dam, and that's pretty obvious. Because a couple of years ago, of course, we had some problems, but it wasn't amplified to the level that we are seeing every single day. And the reason why we have to be careful with what we call and what we deem racist moving forward in the future is because we stop, we stop losing, we start to lose focus on what the actual problem is. This administration, the Democrat Party, unfortunately, uses race as a scapegoat for everything. And as somebody that wants to make sure that we do attack racist issues when they do occur, we can't be the boy who cried wolf and blame racism all the time. I am here to hold this administration accountable to understand that there are issues of race that need to be addressed. And, sir, this ain't one of them. Wesley Hunt. And uh, well said. And, And he's right. Democrats blame everything on race. Yeah, yeah, Wesley Hunt is a prime example of the bench of the Republican Party. Yeah. He's a black man, which I don't – that makes no difference to me. But he he's a black man that is a, uh, a graduate of West Point, flew Apache helicopters, has an MBA from Cornell, and just listen to him right there. Uh, 
he he doesn't care what color it is. He doesn't look at every issue from a from a perspective of race. It's a, from a perspective of, of humanity. And you know, the Democrats can't stand that. Oh yeah, because they don't have anyone in their party like that. Well, and how dare he get off the plantation? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I'm not being. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, they want to they want to point to the Republicans and say you're racist. My goodness. And those, Clarence Thomas talked about this 30 years ago when he was up for the Supreme Court. And, and who was who was leading the charge against Clarence Thomas? None other than Joe Biden, who was the head of the Judiciary Committee that basically just smeared Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas got up and he said, this is nothing but a high-tech lynching by an uppity black man who – Thinks for himself. And and the fact that the Democrats have to say that protecting our borders is an issue of race. Look, we'd, we'd feel the same way if there was a bunch of French-speaking Canadians coming over the border loaded down with fentanyl. We'd think the same way. Yep. It's about if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. Yep. You know, it's not so much who's who is the person of color. It is if if you don't agree with our policy – we're going to we're going to call you a racist and again it goes back to the old adage you know it when they begin to call you names you know that they have lost the debate well in their debate and in their arguments they don't pivot to race they start with race and end with race Bingo. and that's and that's all they do um interestingly the um national archives has now come out and said that they have been ordered they have been ordered by the DOJ aka the Biden administration, to keep their mouths shut when it comes to what they know about these classified materials. <laughs> um, this um, James Comer, who was the House Oversight Committee chair, uh, he said that um, right now, before he, he was set to have a uh, transcribed interview with the general counsel of the National Archives to understand exactly what happened with, with Joe and all these documents – he said, right now, before the National Archives came in, they handed us a letter from the Department of Justice informing them and us that the general counsel for the National Archives wasn't allowed to say anything about the Biden documents. But we had about a three-plus-hour transcribed interview with the general counsel, and what we learned was there was a double standard here and how Donald Trump was treated versus Joe Biden. Quote, if you go to the National Archives website, there's pages and pages and pages of press releases and information about the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago and Donald Trump's possession of classified documents. But there's nothing on the website about Joe Biden. There wasn't any press release or anything else on the website about Joe Biden. Uh, Comer went on to say, we asked the general counsel, why were there no press releases sent on Joe Biden once it was determined that he had classified documents in his possession? The counsel said, he did do a press release, but he was ordered and told it could not be published. We said, who gave you that order? He said, I can't tell you that. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I can tell you. As, as Comer noted, there are only two people that could have given those orders, either the Department of Justice, Attorney General Merrick Garland, or the White House, Joe Biden. So it shows right then and there that this Department of Justice and this White House is interfering. And what does he say all the time? Oh, we're, we're transparent. We're cooperating fully. They're interfering with this and treating Donald Trump very differently than they're treating Joe Biden. 
But the apparent Biden administration cover-up, or at least attempt to control the release of the information as much as possible, efforts that should be noted worked for months before the 2022 midterm elections until someone started leaking details of the scandal into mainstream outlets. It didn't just come up in Comer's interview with the Archives General Counsel. Uh, Double standard? I I think so. In fact, um, apparently... The person that filled this role of chair before uh, Comer came in was a uh, um, Democrat chairwoman, Maloney. Uh, Everything she requested about Donald Trump, she was given immediately. (laughs) Uh, Comer can't get anything from the National Archives. Well, that's the deal. The Department of Justice and the FBI falls under the executive branch, which, you know, goes right straight to the attorney general and right straight to the White House. So. Yep. That's that's where they're getting orders, no yeah. doubt. Again, these presidents think that the attorney general is there for their benefit as if they're their personal attorney. I mean, Eric Holder was for Obama. He was his wingman, and apparently Merrick Garland is for Joe Biden. That's called chief White House counsel, yeah. not the attorney general. <laughs> Bingo. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now the big reveal we've been waiting for all winter. When will it end? Time to find out. As I emerge on this day, you, you say, when? When will it go away? In front of me, there is a shadow I see. Six more months of inflation there will be. Six months. I meant 16. Come on, man. On air, online, or on your smart device. It's always News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Happy Groundhog Day. Uh, Real quickly, let's take a look at your weather. Cloudy with periods of rain tonight, a low of 38. Chance of rain, 80%. Uh, We could get another quarter of an inch before it all fades away. Tomorrow morning, again, an early morning shower. High tomorrow, 45. Tomorrow night, cold. It's down to in the lower 20s, maybe even into the teens on Friday night. Saturday, your high will be 41 with uh, eh, mostly sunny skies. and uh, But it looks like a cold weekend. Looking towards next week, though, we hit back into the uh, 60s and 70 by next Wednesday. Wow. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Voted best golf course in Greenville for the fourth year in a row. Ironwood boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, members-only full-service dining, uh, special areas and events for members, a competition-sized swimming pool. I'll get it out. Clay tennis courts making Ironwood the perfect place for making new traditions with your family. Want to join? Well, call membership director Jenna Doyle. Her number is 252-752-4653 to learn more. David Bullock is the chair of the UNC Board of Trustees. David is on the line with us right now. David, welcome to News and Views. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. I heard you say in a Fox News interview, I guess it was last weekend, that while you have an excellent faculty at UNC Chapel Hill, there's no shortage of left-of-center ideas. However, the same can't be said of right-of-center ideas. And to address the lopsided question, you and UNC are going to begin a school of civic light, life and leadership, the goal to teach students in an age of cancel culture and censorship how to develop the knowledge and skills needed to advance and support a healthy democracy. 
In an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, you and Vice Chair John Pryor were quoted as saying the idea was to end political constraints on what can be taught in university classes. Uh, Tell us more about this. I'm fascinated with the idea. I like the idea. I would think it's an uphill climb, but uh, go for it. Give us some more details. Great. Glad to do it. Again, thanks for having me. Uh, And, you know, this this is not a new idea at Carolina. Uh, At Chapel Hill, we've got a a long tradition uh, at the institution of supporting uh, intellectual freedom and free speech. And, and while uh, it is true that, um, that this is sort of a new version or a new concept, this is in no way new to Carolina. Um, we want, as trustees, uh, our job is to take a look at the needs of the state of North Carolina, uh, what students want, what students deserve in the classroom, and take a look at that and then advocate on behalf uh, of them, their parents, and the other, and the 11 million citizens of North Carolina, uh, what should what 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 Carolina should be all about? And one of those things is uh, instructing and giving students the opportunity uh, to come to Carolina uh, to get skills in the area of of civil discourse, so that they, moving forward as graduates can compete in the modern world. And that's really what this is about. It's about the free exchange of ideas. Benny and I were talking before we went on the air, and he's got some statistics about the ratio of conservatives to liberals. And what, what, what I mean, the, the, on the faculty. Yeah, it was, it was uh, Dave, this is Benny. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, hey, Benny. It was out of the uh, Carolina Journal, I don't know, weeks, months ago uh, that um, I believe it was a college fix had done some kind of analysis. I don't, I don't know if their analysis was, was tr- true or not, but he said basically that the number of professors at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, liberals versus conservatives or, or Democrats versus Republicans, uh, they, the Democrats outnumbered 16 to 1 or something like that. And, and I didn't know if you were – I'm sure you're familiar with that, that article and if it had any basis or not uh, – and and was this well, uh, was this a reason why this school is needed? Well, I think I, I think the the bigger the bigger question. And first of all, thanks for the question. Um, the the statistics that you read out sixteen to one. I believe that those are data points that in fact are true. But that's that that's really beside the point of what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do uh, in terms of advocating for uh, the school of civic life and leadership is to give students an opportunity to learn in an environment where their viewpoint is taken seriously and respected. And and as a result, the expectation is is that students will be able to come in to Carolina and take classes and not have to self-censor themselves in a classroom, that they will have the freedom uh, to express their intellectual position They'll have the freedom to speak their mind, and they'll be respected for that, uh, for that position. And professors will be able to engage students on campus in the classroom so that they can develop the skills to have thoughtful disagreements, for example, and to be able to understand what is an increasingly polarized world. 
Now, as I understand it, of course, the university has a, a number of different schools and different majors. Uh, it, it sounds to me the way you're describing this is this would be a school at the university. It wouldn't necessarily say, okay, we're going to take this philosophy and integrate it into all of the education at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's up for debate and, uh, and certainly up for consideration. Uh, I, I don't think the idea is to, for example, stand up a building. I think the the, the notion is that this uh, school could be nested inside, for example, the School of College of Arts and Sciences, which is the, the largest school on on campus, mm-hmm. and can uh, can can involve other disciplines. For example, what 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 is kind of anecdotally known at the university is PPE which is uh, philosophy, politics, and economics, which is currently taught by fantastic world-class faculty uh, at Chapel Hill. But we can add to them, add to the ranks of the faculty uh, in the sense that faculty can come on board who can uh, teach the actual skills needed to navigate these tough subjects in the current uh, environment that, that we all find ourselves we're talking to David Bullock, who's a chair of the UNC Board of Trustees, uh, and we're talking about this new school of civic life and leadership. Uh, Chairman Bullock, uh, how would the – you know, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the way the, uh, the universities are, are governed just because of my, my input here at East Carolina, the, kind of the separation from the board and the faculty and the chancellor. But how, how would the uh, leadership and staffing be determined here? I mean, will you consider – you know, outside, uh, because I think it's always great to bring people from the outside from other other positions of organizational leadership like the military, uh, business world, or, 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 you know, nonprofit organizations or whatever. How, how would that be determined? Well, you know, that's a good question. And uh, just to be quite frank, in terms of the governance structure, you know, the, the sort of the job of us, as I see it, of the board is to uh, set the tone. Uh, and to set policy and to give a vision for the university moving forward. The nuts and bolts of this is really the uh, where the chancellor and the provost get paid uh, to do the work. And, and I would think that the provost uh, and his team and various faculty members that are currently at Chapel Hill and that may be brought in, in a, a, in, with the idea of being part of the School of Civic Life and Leadership, would, would make those individual determinations on leadership and, and kind of the nuts and bolts of how that program would work. How my, you- my view is really to, really to set the tone and to, uh, to give, give a vision uh, from the Board of Trustees to the greater university. How are you going to make sure it is not hijacked? What are the checks and balances so that you will make sure that the uh, mission statement of this School of Civic Life and Leadership is adhered to and, and it, it doesn't go off the tracks. Yeah, what, what is success and how will you measure success? Yeah. How do you determine success? Well, there, there's a couple of questions there, and I'll, I'll start with, you know, how do we, how do we keep this, uh, this train on the track? Well, you know, first of all, we, we have set out um, and the initial resolution that was passed unanimously by the board uh, sets uh, recommendations to the chancellor uh, to accelerate the, the development of the school. Uh, and this is something that has, has been worked on by faculty members previously. Uh, 
Um, so our expectation as board members, uh, based on that resolution, is that it will happen. Um, now, one of the ways we can do that is through our authority as board of trustees to approve or not approve a budget at the university. Okay. And, and what, what would how, – how are you going to measure success on this? And I, I, granted, I, that's a tough question because, I mean, I'm sure you've thought it through, but at the same time, uh, I mean, you, you haven't even – you know, you haven't even launched this ship yet. So, uh, but but as you look down the road, what, what does success look like? Well, I think success looks like um, data from students uh, and data from faculty that uh, sort of reveals a climate at the university where uh, people feel comfortable expressing their uh, positions uh, ideologically in class and amongst other students where there is the ability for students to engage in civil discourse. I mean, let me stop here and say, you know, this is a natural outflow of program that we currently have uh, known as the Program for Public Discourse. We recently had, for example, on campus, Senator Tom Tillis and his opponent in the 2020 election, uh, uh, Cal Cunningham, mm-hmm. on campus, where they openly discussed the race, their positions on uh, on certain issues, and how they uh, interacted with each other. They did so on stage. There was a packed auditorium of students. I was right there with them. And, and that type of dialogue, that doesn't come naturally in today's world. That's a learned skill that can be taught in the classroom. It's something that we owe our students. Uh, so that they can be successful in the future. This is natural to go from that idea of the program from public discourse to bring that skill set and that modeling to the classroom. Yeah, yes. And, and so, so success, success is modeled by our student success. We already have tremendous success on students, but, you know, we can't take our success for granted. We've got to be looking into the future and, and, and taking a look at the needs uh, uh, that, that face our students, not only today, but in the next decade. How will a student apply and be admitted to this school, and when will it launch? Well, launch date, uncertain, um, and they'll apply just like students apply to the university. This will be part of a curriculum that students will be able to, um, you know, presumably opt into uh, and be able to uh, take classes uh, within the school. I mean, all those details are things that I expect our, our world-class faculty to be able to put together uh, uh, the nuts and bolts. They are really skilled at that, and, and I have all the confidence in the world that that, that will be done uh, professionally and the way it should be. Uh, go ahead, uh, Chairman, Chairman Bullock. Uh, do, you, do you know are there other models at other schools that you guys may be looking at and 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 seeing what works, what doesn't work? Well, there aren't, to my knowledge, any specific uh, uh, models uh, that 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 I personally have taken a look at. Now, I, I do know that there is uh, there there are similar models to the program for public discourse. Uh, I would point to Princeton University and Robbie George, Professor Robbie George, there uh, with some with some work, great work that he's done uh, at, at Princeton University. Uh, but this, I think, could really make Carolina a national leader. 
is uh, were you surprised that it was a unanimous uh, decision by the board? And is this the beginning of perhaps a paradigm shift? Uh, no, I really wasn't surprised at the unanimity of the board. I think our board uh, is very focused. We take our job seriously. Um, and I do believe that it could be a paradigm shift. Absolutely. How about the uh, the initial faculty reaction uh, in the Daily Tar Heel? I think yesterday, maybe you know, obviously there's a lot of lot of opinions, and everybody can share them. Um, and and uh, hey, that's part of the purpose of sounds like what you're trying to do here. Were you surprised about the initial reactions from some of the some of the faculty? Well, I, I, you know, first of all, this the reaction in the Daily Tar Heel was from a small group of faculty that are the faculty executive council wasn't the entire faculty. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, to my knowledge and what I know to be the facts is this is, this is an idea that has been percolating and worked on at the university for now going on six years. And I, I think there's, there's been ample, uh, you know, opportunity for this to uh, rise to uh, seriousness of, of needing to be implemented. And, and I view that as the job of the Board of Trustees is to sort of spark the movement on some of these things, and this one in particular, uh, because, uh, you know, especially in our polarized world, we, gotta, we have to equip our students, and our students deserve the equipment necessary to have the ability to discuss issues civilly with people who have different viewpoints. To read the Daily Tar Heel piece and then the op-ed that was in the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer, they may sound like you guys got together for a, a beer a couple of nights ago and decided, "Hey, let's do this." I mean, it was they, they were they were not kind uh, in either one of these uh, op-eds. But listen, I, I applaud you. I, I mean, we've been asking some hard questions, and maybe they, they no. sound like we're cynical, but I, I applaud you for doing this, and I hope it is a great success. Um, just as someone who is a, a pretty strong conservative, I look at this, I hope for the best, and uh, my cynicism says, oh, I hope it's not, I hope it's not torpedoed. I hope, I hope it'll be, it will be a paradigm shift, and uh, this will be a great opportunity for the students, and for that matter, the faculty. I mean, we hear from faculty all the time down here in the East saying we appreciate what you all say and what you stand for because – so often at state universities, there's this intimidation factor that some people just sort of keep their mouth shut, you know, bend their head down and, and don't speak up because they feel like they're going to get lamb blasted. Well, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. You know, it's really I view the Board of Trustees uh, responsibility is to speak on behalf of the 11 million North Carolina citizens. Uh, and, and, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're answering what we believe uh, the citizens of North Carolina want us to be doing at the flagship university. David Bullock, chair of the UNC Board of Trustees. Dave, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. We do appreciate it. And, and much Absolutely. success. Let's stay in touch on this. I'd, I'd love to see where it goes. And uh, as you get closer to a launch date, let's talk again. Will do. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. Hey, let's play some political trivia, shall we? 561-8255. Political trivia. Got a good question and a good prize package. Let's play when we get back. Stay with us.
All right, welcome back in. It is time for political trivia, and uh, we've got a line or two open yet. Give us a call, 561-8255. Your category, it's all about the math. Your prize package includes a free oil change for your car or pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, a gift certificate from Fit for Life 24, a $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno in Havelock or El Mexicano in Newport, a $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden, and an Ironwood gift certificate. Remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family have won recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up from Greenville, it's Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hello, Mitch. How's it going, guys? Uh, it's, it's going well. Now, Mitch, it's probably good you're number one because uh, Benny got this right off the bat when I uh, test drove it on him. Uh, so your category, it's all about the math. Here's your question. When it comes to national politics, what do Alaska, Delaware, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming all share in common that is unique to just these five states? Uh well, I know they have really low populations, so I'm guessing their representation in the House would be really small. Like How small? Member. You got it! There you go. <laughs> Don't say anymore. You got it! <laughs> yeah, those five states actually have more U.S. senators than they have House members. So, uh, congratulations, Mitch. Hit it out of the park. He's a genius. It's not often that the number one caller gets it, and those who are on hold are... They're, they're ticked at you right now, Mitch, but congratulations. Uh, thanks for playing, and uh, hang on the line because uh, one of our producers is going to get all your information, and we'll get you those prizes. Stay with us. Benny and I will be right back. Get the information you need here to be informed and stay informed. Put your song in this heart of mine. Put your smile on my face every time Cause I love a rainy night Welcome back in. So when is the uh, State of the Union? It's coming up. Next Tuesday, I believe. This next Tuesday. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is giving the rebuttal. I saw that. Yeah. I, I thought that was a good choice. I think that is a good choice. Um, and she will not be intimidated. And you know, so often they pick somebody and it's the first time in the national spotlight and they sort of melt under the camera. She won't. No, she won't. She'll she'll do well. well. And she's been in front of the camera so many times that she's she uh, grew she's up. Unnatural. She grew up in front of the camera. I mean, yeah. you know, her dad, yeah. mom, both were in politics her entire life and in her life. Tuesday, February seventh at nine o'clock. Okay, so it's uh, next Tuesday. I, I, nine o'clock. I mean, just make gives me a thought. I know this is going to sound ugly. Are they going to pre-record it? But just <laughs> just uh, just take a look. When when President Biden speaks, take a look at his hands, and he will either have a lot of makeup on his hands, or you will see a lot of scars from IVs. Just a prediction. Yeah. Just a yeah. prediction. I mean, it'll be interesting if they have an IV stand right next to him as he's giving the... I, and, I, yeah. and I'm not trying to be funny here. I mean, no, it's the, true. I mean, yeah, they'll pump them that, full of something. That was, that was noticeable at one of his presentations where everybody made the comment of just how lively he appeared to be as... You know more than usual, and he had uh, he had IV marks. It looked it appeared is, to how many push-ups you want to do here? Yeah. <laughs> um, John Kerry is in the news, and um, Lurch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did Rush, Rush used to call him? Old horse face. 
<laughs> Secretary of State, former Secretary of State, current Biden climate czar John Kerry is under investigation by the House Oversight Committee for allegedly engaging in secret negotiations with the Chinese Communist Party. The Committee on Oversight Accountability is investigating your role in the Biden administration and your uh, and the nature of your negotiations with CCP. In the 117th Congress, we requested information from you regarding your position as a special presidential envoy for climate, a cabinet-level position that does not require Senate confirmation despite your apparent ability to bind the United States to international agreements and the SPEC employees' ties to outside organizations. House Oversight Committee James Comer. By the way, you're going to be hearing a lot from James Comer. I know he's sort of came out of the blue but with this House Oversight Committee and uh, all the hearings they're going to have on the Biden administration, you better get to know this guy really well because you're going to see a lot of them. To date, you have failed to respond to any of our requests, yet you continue to engage in activities that could undermine our economic health, skirt congressional authority, and threaten foreign policy under the guise of climate advocacy. The committee requests documents and information to understand your role and provide necessary transparency over the SPEC and its activities. You have also continued to downplay the CCP's human rights violations. Look, bottom line is John Kerry is doing and, and making deals and making agreements and out there theoretically representing the United States. A cabinet position, you do not have to go, you don't have to be approved by the Senate. Exactly. You're just appointed by the president. And this guy is out there doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And zero accountability. But that seems to be the way the progressives run is they basically shoot the bird at any kind of accountability or any kind of congressional oversight or following the Constitution. And they just say, we're going to do what we darn well please. Well, what's even worse than that, some of the appointments that Joe Biden has done is is a little telling because – this right here is political payback for John Kerry. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I mean, yeah. the Democrat Party you know, knew that they could they could drag President Biden, uh, candidate Biden at the time, across the finish line. They they knew his limitations, but in return, you know, they're at the table. John Kerry has no business being on the National Defense Council. I mean, no business no. at all. No. I mean, his his ties with people in the Middle East even before that were somewhat yep. questionable to yep. say the least. Yesterday, we talked about the Parents' Bill of Rights that's going through the North Carolina legislature, the Senate first, and then it'll go over to the House. Today, they heard, this is from the News and Observer, the so-called, quote, medical experts and parents. Speakers today at the committee meeting said this provision, the Parents' Bill of Rights, which we talked about yesterday. If you want to know more about that, you can go back and listen to yesterday's program on Facebook or Rumble. But um, these, some of these speakers said this could force children to come out to unsupportive parents. Let me ask you, you got two teenage boys. Mm-hmm. How often uh, would your boys not like you to know something because they know you wouldn't be supportive? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can answer Probably that. more times than you know. But listen, it's like, oh, my, heaven forbid that we allow parents to know what their child is doing or thinking. And 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 who do they want to have, uh, you know, as the confidant of the child? Somebody the child hardly even knows. But Somebody that has nothing invested in the child, as compared to the parent. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, we've got uh, we've got protections and guardrails, and sometimes they don't always work to protect children in in I hate to say hostile environments at the home. 
and they're there. But at, but at the end of the day, those children belong to the parents. Bingo. They don't belong to the state. The idea and the mentality and the ideology that children are wards of the estate, that's straight out of Eastern Europe, straight out of, out Marxism. of Marxism, straight out of Moscow. Republican legislators, the cynics said, have faced mounting concerns from constituents who are unclear as to exactly how SB 49 would reshape classroom dynamics. Reshape classroom dynamics. The LGBTQ crowd has already done that. SB 49 is allowing parents back in to reclaim their kids. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. John Rustin, president of the North Carolina Family Policy Council, said, quote, for many decades, state courts, federal courts, and this General Assembly have recognized that parents have a fundamental right to care, custody, and control their children. Senate Bill 49 clarifies this fundamental right does not end when the child enters a school building or a health care facility. Bingo. And, and what's so bad about it? We shouldn't have to clarify it, clarify it, but in today's world, you have to. Yeah. And again, if you go back and read this bill, which is on the North Carolina legislature's uh, website, if you go back and read this bill, uh, it really – you can read it and you realize the problem is rogue administrators – look, I know there's a lot of great teachers out there. I want to paint everybody with a broad brush, but but I use the word, you know, as a a descriptive word, rogue teachers, rogue administrators – who decided they're going to be in charge, the parents aren't going to be in charge. This bill basically says teachers, administrators, parents have first priority. They, You can only do what the parents say you can do and allow you to do. And, and I'm already seeing people come out and say they disagree with it, and I guarantee they hadn't read it, as yeah. always. Go read it. Go read hey, it. our thanks to uh, Dave Bullock uh, for joining us today. And uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.